I've got an intro. You do? I've got an intro for this episode. Oh. Okay. I think that's a better theme. That I think that is a better theme, except it's not in the movie, which... Weird, right? Yeah, which, with how much music is in this movie... I mean, there's a lot better music than that song. So, I think what a lot of people think about American Hustle, they think about the Oscar campaign that was around American Hustle. See, I don't remember this at all. Oh, I remember it a lot, because there were a lot... Uh, this was a 2013 movie directed by David O. Russell... Star, and it was one of the only movies, uh, I think there were maybe like four or five others, to have gotten nominated in every single acting category. For Best uh, Actor, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, and Best Supporting Actress. Do you know the other ones? Or? Um, I don't. Oh. I don't. But I think it was also like one of three movies to have gotten nominated in all of the acting categories. And then subsequently lost all of them. Wow. Yeah, no. It didn't win any Oscars. Rude to Amy. It had the second most nominations of any movie ever. It had, te- I think it had ten total, and I think the most nominations... Of- that Titanic? Uh, I don't think it was no. Titanic, but the most <laughs> nominations ever were eleven. And it's... So- you don't know the movie? I don't know the Can movies. you research anything? I mean, sometimes. I've kind of got a degree. I heard of Google. I mean, you could do this, but I remember during Oscar season, people like, oh, are they going to give Jennifer Lawrence another Oscar? Are they going to give David O. Russell another Oscar? Because I, I know that uh, Silver Linings Playbook, Jennifer Lawrence had won, I think it was Best Actress the year before. Which... Oh, Titanic. 17 categories available for nomination, nominated for 14. Huh. That's got to be the most. Okay. Besides that one. Okay. But anyway, let me look up American Hustle. Don't fact check us. Fact check us. Please do fact check us. If we're wrong about something, tell us about it. And then tweet tweet at John, not me. I don't want to hear your tweets. <laughs> not yet. Okay, so but American Hustle, it wasn't a, like a lot of end of year top ten lists for a lot of critics. It got nominated for. Let's see, yeah, ten Academy Awards. It got nominated for ten Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, and all four acting categories. And, okay, it received the second highest number of nominations for a film which didn't win any Oscars. A distinction it shares with True Grit and Gangs of New York. True Grit was a baller movie. I haven't seen it. 
I know, it's Coen Brothers. And I, I can't afford all these movies that we don't have that I need you to watch. <laughs> uh, I guess we didn't explain the premise of our podcast, did we? Maybe on the last episode, but let's do it again. So, we have over 90 DVDs and Blu-rays. We're going through all of them in alphabetical order. Last time, we talked about About Time, which is a wonderful time travel dramedy. <sighs> really good Bill Nye film. Bill Nye and Benjamin yeah, McCann yeah. was probably the best part of that movie. Donald Gleason's good too, but he's done better work. Anyway, this movie stars Christian Bale, Amy Adams, Bradley Cooper, Jennifer Lawrence, Jeremy Renner. Those are the notables. Those are the notables. Well, there's one more that you forgot. Well, we'll get to that. Okay. We'll right. get to that. Right. <laughs> but Easter egg. Um, it's based on a true story, and like it starts off with the with the uh, note that some of this stuff really happened. Um, it's based on the Abscam operation in the 1970s. Uh, which, of course, you all are familiar with, of course. In which mm. the FBI entrapped a bunch of congressmen and senators taking bribes uh, having to do with the reconstruction of Atlantic City. And uh, that's the heart of the plot, but this movie isn't fully about that. I think this movie is more about people conning each other and themselves. Like, this movie is yeah. all about... If it was just a movie about that, it'd be super boring. This movie is all about what people want to believe. And, like, I fully believe it didn't deserve the Oscars that it got, it, that it didn't win. Except for maybe Amy Adams, who should have an Oscar by now and doesn't for some reason that I don't fully understand. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, but it really centers around Christian Bale's character. I think he's... Presenting. Oh, wrong movie. You, 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 you got that. You got that out of your system now. I am done. I can't do it. Where is she? <laughs> okay, okay. I think we got that out of our system. Um, who starts? Who does this really, really intense Bronx accent that doesn't work for all the movie? You can hear the Welsh slip again. Yeah, I forgot he was doing an accent. Honestly. <laughs> Well, he is that kind of well, actor. Well, obviously to... it's an accent, but it's not, it's not like... J-Law does the best accent in this movie, I think. You think J-Law does yeah, the best accent? Yeah, I accent. think so. I think that Amy Adams is the best accent because it's a bad British accent, but it's supposed to be a bad Well, okay, accent. so what I... so Okay, let's... let's uh, you know, I don't think we're going to go full plot summary on this one. I think we're just going to talk about what worked and what didn't. Okay, well, first of all, I want to talk about that, what you just mentioned about Amy Adams' accent. So, when I was reading an article... From Vulture, you know, super, super. No, Vulture is decent source, but yes, yeah, is it one of the trades? I don't know. Doesn't matter. Uh, so when you watch the movie um, now, you, it's, it seems very intentional her flip between her British accent and her normal accent. Uh huh. But this is an article about like when it first they got like a first screener before they did like the final cut, uh-huh. and she kind of sporadically has lines in there from what I read. So it, it comes off as intentional, but it seems like they were just trying to make Amy Adams do a British accent and see how long it worked. Huh. So I thought that was kind of funny. Because at the beginning, it doesn't seem super intentional. Like, well, why is she flipping so much? And then at the end, you're like, oh, it's because that's her alter ego. And, well, you know, I mean, it's when she's being her, like, con man self. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's introduced at the beginning. So, um... But it doesn't Irving make sense and- for her to have it at the beginning because she's talking... Like yeah, with Irving. Buds, yeah. Ir- so Irving and Sydney meet at a pool party, and she's wearing a bracelet with Duke Ellington on it. 
Which, like, why would you have erase all the people's faces on? Listen, it's she Italian. gets Duke Ellington. I guess. She understands yeah, Duke Ellington. Yeah, definitely. Which is a central plot point. Um, by the way, the intro was Jeep's Blues, um, which is the first major needle drop in this movie. There are a lot of really big needle drops there is. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Jukebox musical. Yeah, it's, it's, well, I mean, you're not singing. They are singing at some points. At some points they are singing. But it's not a musical per se, but it feels like it the way that the music is used, which I think has something to do with the fact that they got, well, you know, Danny Elfman to write the score for it. Yes, and of they, course. Danny Elfman, which we all know. You know who Danny from, Elfman is. From... Lord of the Rings. No. Mm. Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, God. He wrote the concept album before he wrote the Okay. The music is the best part of that. If you know me in real life, you will think that I like Nightmare Before Christmas, but actually, it's okay. It's got some good animation, but the music is a little lacking. Excuse me, the music is the best part of that. I get Oogie Boogie is the best one. Anyway. Anyway. um, So they meet, and they bond over Duke Ellington, and Irving reveals to her that, oh, he is a con man, and... She offers to come in and pretend to be a British woman with London banking connections to help with his loan scam business. But, um, they're eventually busted by Bradley Cooper's character, who is an FBI agent, who is the most ridiculous FBI agent, honestly. Uh, and they negotiate a deal. He won't bust them if he helps them. If he helps them, um, make four arrests. And this kind of spirals. Because they introduce into this Arab Sheik scam, which is we get we get these men to accept bribes from an Arab Sheik and then you can bust them for corruption. And they are brought in to the mayor of Camden, New Jersey, who's trying to rebuild the new city, Carmine Polito, who is probably the most likable character in the movie, I think. Yeah, um, when I played think- by Jeremy Renner. Spoilers, at the end when they arrest him, you actually like feel really bad for him. You're like, oh, you were trying to do a thing. You were trying you to do something good up. for your population, and you got caught up in a scam. Um, and I think I think the core plot works really well. The movie starts off non-linearly. Like, the opening sequence of the movie like, is kind of a thesis statement of what this movie is about. There's something that um, Irving Rosenfeld, uh, Christian Bale's character, says that for every con, you need to really work from the feet up. You need to build an entire image that you're going to project to the other people and make them want to believe what you're telling them. That way that you can actually get them on the tape. Um, and it opens with this really elaborate sequence of Irving putting in a hairpiece and teasing its hair out to make it look like he's not actually bald. And it's... You know, it's the entire thing is wordless. I don't remember if it's all one shot or not, but yeah. it's very lovingly and delicately put out. And there's no context given at this point. We don't know what's going on. And it's only after the scene and after a scene where they're meeting with Jeremy Renner in this hotel room and they fail to get him to accept a bribe that we go into this opening voiceover narration from Urban that explains his that explains his story, that explains how he met Sydney. And uh, we're sort of taken out into a flashback. So Movie opens in media res, goes to a flashback, and then what? media res. Explain that. In media res is in the middle of things. What? Why wouldn't you just say in the middle of things? Oh, people are ridiculous. Literature people do this too. Oh yeah, I figured. This That's probably where it came thing. from. It probably wasn't for the cool movie people. 
movie people say it too. A lot of critics, you know, this is, people know what in media res means. Uh, a lot of people are going to listen to this podcast. Well, leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to be cool people. Cool people? Yeah. Are you saying film and lit aren't cool? No, only science. Science. Step bitch over here. Anyway, I say anyway too much. Yeah, you do. Any, uh, moving on. <laughs> Since we're not going to give a plot summary, some of the things that I thought, you know, going with the theme of the movie, I guess the 70s were very golden, because it seems like a golden filter was on about half the movie, and I really felt like I was in this, like, 70s dream, almost. Like, they're trying to pull, you know, like, the, mo- the entire movie seems like they're trying to pull one over you, too. Like, to- like it's a, like a dreamy kind of, like... But I really, I I agree, and you really see that in a lot of, because that's not the only sequence that we see, the uh, teasing hair sequence. Hair is a big thing in this movie, because you see uh, Jennifer Lawrence's character, her hair is all done up, and done up in this really incredible updo, even like when she's cleaning the house, which is a scene that works very well. Um, You've got, I think what's most interesting is Richie, uh, Richie DeMasso, Bradley Cooper's character. The FBI agent. There's one scene that we see him at home with his Italian Catholic mother and his fiance, who he's been ignoring to flirt with uh, Amy Adams' character. You see him at home with a bunch of little bitty foam rollers in his hair, to, so that he can curl it to have this to to have this style that he has. Like I, <coughs> I finally get why curls were banned for like the 2000s, like. As someone who has curly hair, it really hurt me, but, like, seeing the different style choices with curly hair, I think I get it now. Oh. And we're just allowed to come back. And, uh, but yeah, you really see that he has to put this image together. Mm-hmm. And that everyone in that movie has to do that. Like, I mean, you see it with the nail polish that uh, Jennifer Lawrence's character talks about. You see the way that Carmichael, you like, so lovingly puts together this casino to show to his potential investors... I think there's only one person in the movie who isn't super concerned about the way he presents himself to the world because he is just that his doesn't cop, care. Is cop his FBI buddy? No. The glasses? No, it's no, a, not Louis C.K. Well, I guess that it is Louis C.K.'s character. He doesn't give any things. Are we? Let's yeah. Let's talk about let's talk about it. Louis C.K. is a better actor than a stand-up and a better actor than a person. He's we know he's. We know he's well, we don't have to talk about that. We don't have to. But within the context of this movie, he is hilarious. He's fantastic. He plays the sh- he plays the straight man to um, Richie's just like raving lunatic, passionate person. Um, there's an ongoing gag where he tries to tell him this ice fishing story because unlike Richie, um, Louis C.K.'s character is from the Midwest. Everyone else in this movie is from New York or New Jersey. He's from the Midwest, and he tries to tell him this ice fishing story that uh, Bradley Cooper's character keeps just trying to guess the ending to it, and then Louis C.K. refuses to tell it to him. Uh, and, uh, Louis, and Bradley Cooper's character just steamrolls Louis C.K.'s character up to a point of literally beating him to a pulp with a telephone. And it's... <laughs> it shouldn't be fu- as funny as it is. Violence is funny, kids. <laughs> it shouldn't be as funny as it is, but it's filmed so wonderfully. Like, And this is preceded... 
And this is another good example of the nonlinear storytelling that this movie uses, is this scene is preceded by a phone call where he's trying to bully him into booking a room in the Plaza Hotel for him. And he says, where are you? And he says, I'm at the 61st Street field office. And he says, okay, I'm coming to the 61st I'm going to, the, to 61st Street. And then Louis C.K. says, what? And then Bradley Cooper says, to beat your ass. And then we cut... We cut to them in the U.S. Attorney's Office. Louis C.K.'s character is covered in bruises. He's got a bandage over one eye. And he's speaking into a microphone with a tape recorder um, to give a statement. He said, I was beaten and threatened and threatened with death. And then Bradley Cooper is sitting calmly. He says, you know, I'm just a very passionate person. And then we cut to the scene of him beating the crap out of him with a telephone. <laughs> Oh my god. This is a funny movie. This is a dramatic movie. And it's... Uh, it gets better for me every time I watch it. Full disclosure, it's been a long time since we recorded the pilot. And we watched this almost immediately after recording the pilot. And then I got busy finishing up my master's. So we had to watch it again this time. And... Uh, so we double dipped. So better you're just going to come out with it. Yeah, you know, expose our scam. Expose our scam. You know, you gotta know when to walk away from the scam. It's not a true second impression. It's a go. third impression. We gotta go legitimate. You gotta, you gotta go from the feet up. But I guess it's, it's not, it's not bad because we're obviously gonna have seen some of these movies like a bajillion times. Mm-hmm. Like. Oh man, I can't wait to get to La La Land. It's staring at me on the, the shelf. Logan Lucky is right next to me. Oh staring god, at me. no, <laughs> no. Best film of 2017. Um, okay, what else works for this movie? The fashion. Oh my fashion, god. Fashion, 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 fashion. Amy Adams had so many very, very plun- deep plunging necklines. Yeah, like, uh, one of the dresses was literally just like a very long accentuated nipple tape. Um, <laughs> it was, it was just there to, you know, provide some help. Uh, let's talk about, let's talk about that dress that, uh, Jennifer Lawrence was wearing. Oh, yeah, the, the beaded back. Uh, oh, man. She slays in everything she wears in this movie. The women's fashion in this movie is excellent. And I think the other thing, my, my other favorite uh, is the furs. The, oh, furs. the furs. Fur is, like, weirdly unethical, but it looks so fabulous. Well, they probably did, they wouldn't have had to use real furs for this movie. I don't know if they those, did or those not. Those looks like you, But you can have very synthetic, like, it's magic, you know. It's Modern magic. day magic. Oh. I would never own any, like, I would never buy any furs. What like, was great is, I feel like the fashion works so well with the music to really, oh, yeah. um, because we start off with what is the Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young song, you have, mm-hmm. and they never, um, they never used, um, di- like, diegetic music, like, what, what is it when it's outside, like, no, no, nothing was outside of the time period, right? Oh, yeah, no, nothing, so, or no, there had, was nothing in Nothing that hadn't been, yeah, so it was diegetic. It, yeah, it was. No, it was non-diegetic. Not okay. So di okay. So diegesis is what's happening on the screen. So, uh, so okay. if, if music is diegetic, that means it's, that it's it happening. From, it's coming from the source of the screen. So like, and most of it was. Not, not necessarily. A lot of there it was. Few, there were a few. I'm specifically thinking of the J Law thing where she's singing "Live and Let Die." Oh my god! Yeah, there were a couple great uses of diegetic music. I think "Live and Let Die," the cleaning sequence where. Uh, 
Jen, where Jennifer Lawrence is wearing the red rubber gloves and dusting and dancing. They're, they're white. They're the yellow. Bed. Yellow rubber gloves. Yes. And then the dance club sequence with "I Feel Love" by Donna Summer, which is one of the greatest songs of all time, and it's just oh, so perfect. Uh, but there were a lot of like non-diegetic needle drops that were great too. You know, this brings me to I think my favorite sequence in the movie, which is the which is uh, the Atlantic City party. Mm. Oh, this the scene is like a nesting doll. It's there's so open it up and it goes deeper and deeper and you go further and further into just to the inner workings of this con and the inner workings of the deal and the inner workings of everyone's relationships like that's what's so incredible about it and it starts off um, middle of the movie they have Michael Pena who is a really great comic actor um, uh, the, the uh, Mexican guy who plays the show uh, yeah that is my favorite like pullover of that movie. It's like, you guys are so, like, skeezy, like, this guy does not look like Arabic Arab at all. At all. Well, that's because you know it's Michael Pena. If we, uh, assume, we assume white people back then, white people yeah, back then. But the fact that, oh, can we, can we do the, the Easter egg now with well, Posey? I want to, I want to uh, dissect this scene. We open, we open outside of this great giant city hall in Atlantic City, and it opens with a, a spot with a searchlight blowing. And the searchlight blowing isn't important for the story. What's important is that it lets smoke drift out as everyone is arriving. So we see Bradley Cooper and Amy Adams and Michael Pena walking out of the smoke to the sound of, I believe, Papa Was a Rolling Stone has started playing at this point, which is, again, an excellent song. I guess. You love that song. Mm-hmm. Wakachu, wakachu, wakachu. Yeah, when I brush my teeth. It's a toothbrush If you brush your teeth and you make the noises, it sounds open, exactly you open like. Open your mouth and close your mouth. It sounds like it sounds like disco mom on Trust me, you should try it all. Um, and they walk into the smoke, and jo- Jennifer Lawrence's character recognizes Amy Adams' character as Irving's mistress, and says, "I know who that is. I know who you are." And it is. That's my husband's fault. <laughs> Uh, and then we go in and we see Jeremy Renner explaining the explaining like the various art of this uh, of the city hall that they're going to turn into the casino. They want to renovate into the casino. He talks about how his son really painted it, and you can tell he's very emotionally invested in this community. And you think that it's like just all legitimate, and it's like oh, they're going to pull one over on this poor guy until you get downstairs to the bar. And who should be sitting there but a bunch of mafiosos. <laughs> and, uh, and Jeremy Renner is lecturing everyone in the, in the group that you got to be very careful with these guys. You have to do business with them because they're the ones who know the casino business. At which point Jennifer Lawrence's character, who is the real wild card of this movie, says, Those guys? You're scared of those guys? I'm not scared of those guys. And she starts walking over to them. And the music changes to Santana's You've Gotta Change Your Evil Ways. Please be done. Oh, that is... I I think that's the best needle drop. The second best needle drop in the movie is coming. And that plays until we find out. uh, And she uh, goes up and starts flirting with these mob guys. 
while the uh, rest of the while the rest of the group is like, oh god, she's ruining our deal right now. But this is where she's the most amicable. Like, like she's just like one of the guys just hanging out. Oh, like, and she knows how to work them. It's like, like they think that they're pulling a slick one over her, but she's just over there like, oh, you guys are so like. This is actually where she shows like most of her. She's like actually really like smart, like streetwise. Why? Like she's just not very commonsensical. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is a problem with the way that her character is sketched out, too. And we'll get to that. But at this point, we find out that the mob boss, Victor Tolegio, is downstairs, who is the right-hand man of Meyer Lansky. And uh, Irving, Christian Bale doesn't want to go to the back room, but Bradley Cooper, of course, the over-eager FBI agent, who wants, to get the, yeah, who wants to get the biggest bust possible. Well, of course, says, no, let's go down and meet with this man. And we, uh, who is it? Uh, they go be, they go behind the stage into, like, a dark and dingy room that clearly hasn't been decorated. And every, everyone be? has a plate of meatballs on the table. It's so wild. Why did you and then, notice the meatballs? No. <laughs> you believed me? I, <laughs> I was trying to, I was going to set it up just like, um, like a like an Italian like restaurant, but then you just actually believed me, and now you ruined well, I mean, it. What? I mean, considering you, ru- you ruined my review, <laughs> it's Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro is there. Victor Telegio. Victor Telegio is played by Robert De Niro, who is has made his living playing mobsters and Goodfellas and Godfather Part Two. Just oh, and you know we should have expected it because Robert De Niro had such a big part in Silver Linings Playbook. But, but I had, a in the time between me first seeing this movie and me seeing this movie again, I had completely forgotten about Robert De Niro's cameo in it. Are you kidding me? No! That's I, like the most, but how? You, so you remembered this from 2013. Yeah! That's a pivotal scene. I, I didn't, I completely had forgotten about Robert De Niro being in there. And when he shows up, it just, I just lost my shit. I lost my shit. And he plays just a no-nonsense mob boss. He's clearly the most dangerous person in the room. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, if you're going to do this right, the Sheik has to be an American citizen, which means you have to pay off congressmen and senators to expedite citizenship. And like... Which now would be impossible, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> can't do this now, folks. I mean... Maybe, if you have enough money. Melania. The cookies? No. Oh. The, the first lady. But Milana First lady. Chocolate, shortbread. Her citizenship is expedited. I'm surprised she didn't assess him, honestly. Anyway, I gotta go there. Anyway, De and De Niro then says, and then here's here's the, oh, the most pivotal point of the scene. De Niro then starts speaking directly to the sheik in Arabic. This is a Mexican man who only knows a few phrases, and he's expecting him to hold a conversation. So you think, right then and there, everyone's just gonna blow up. Or, like, as soon as they walk away, they're all dead. Like, like I was expecting, like, a mass murder at this point. Because it's completely blown. The yeah. scam is completely blown. Look, surprisingly, the Mexican guy holds it together, doesn't say anything, and just kind of, like... Stares him yeah, down. Yeah, stares him down. So he... I, I didn't think this guy... You know, I thought he would have lost it at that point, too. Uh, well, he didn't understand what he said. No one understood what yeah, he said no about one. Robert... But Victor Telegio... And this is this is and this is broken 
Luckily, when one of the mayor's associates stumbles drunkenly to the table to remind him that he's got a speech coming up, and Michael Pena uh, busts out the two phrases that he knows, which are, I'm looking forward to doing business with you, the investment is real. <laughs> oh. And we go on to this very earnest political speech, and the last of it is, uh, uh, but we also cut to Amy Adams and Jennifer Lawrence in the bathroom. No, no, so they, yeah, they, like, walk down. They, like, first they get in, like, a huge fight in the, um, bar, and then the, yeah, cause, uh, his wife. Yeah, because that's the, uh, this is my husband's whore. Yeah, this is, yeah. And, uh, and then they get in a fight in the bathroom. Meanwhile, as soon as this, the chic scene is over, what's playing, but, um, oh, White Rabbit in Arabic. In Arabic. In Arabic. <laughs> oh. This is the, like, I, I feel like, uh, I want to write a paper about that, the, the entire casino sequence. Like, I feel like that's like, if this was a Shakespeare play, this would be the third act. Because the third act is like, where the entire play pivots from. That's like, that's when Hamlet has to play within a play. Do you hear me dying, everyone? Because <laughs> you can't outlive a Shakespeare play. <laughs> Can you believe we're getting married? <laughs> Years of me chopping your ass. Oh my god. So excited. My, my ass is very thoroughly chopped right now. Um, we need to get to the best part. Amy Adams and Jennifer Lawrence in the bathroom. Yeah, so this is actually, so I'm also in that Vulture article written uh-huh. five million years ago. Can you believe it? 2013, five million years ago. Um, they said that this was actually Amy Adams' idea to do the kissing scene. Oh. Yeah. Because so, they have this fight. They have this fight in there, and they're arguing. It's like Amy Adams' character's point is no, he loved me, and it was real. He doesn't love you anymore. Which you don't know if she's being real or not, because she's still like she's using her accent, and it seems like it could still be all part of the scam. Like you just don't know like what's happening right then. And then Jennifer Lawrence is like, you no, you can't trust him because he's scum. He's you don't know how he's going to change his mind. He might still come back to me. You don't know anything, and then grabs her face, grabs Amy Adams' face, and kisses her, which I think is going to launch, a, launch us into a nice segue. For all that I love about this movie, really, Mel Casey is so like the costumes are incredibly sexy and they're period accurate. But like one one sequence I think about in particular is when they're walking into the fake warrior's office at the end. We have this pan up and pan down of the costumes. Where's the camera centered? Amy Adams' ass. Yeah, that's one of my favorite shots. You love, you like that shot? Well, okay, so, I mean, if you think about it, like, male gaze, things can also be flipped around to, like... Because it's... You can appreciate it still, because, like, it's... You see, I don't know, I just know David... But no, in the context of the movie, it does seem like they're trying to be, like, super skeezy, like... And, I, I mean, we can argue that Amy Adams' character, like, uses sex... Oh, yeah, oh, as her, yeah. As her, I mean, that's her entire thing. She starts off the movie as a stripper. Yeah. But, I don't know, it still made me, like... I was, like, I was deriving a lot of pleasure from watching this movie, and it, like, made me... Oh, I thought you were going to say, from this one shot, I, just, I was like, oh, <laughs> but, I mean, buddy. From the way that women are portrayed in this movie, and it kind of made me question my motivations in that. It just feels like... A lot of it does feel like I can. 
Uh, not to be the guy who brings up the Bechdel test every time, but I don't think two women do ever talk to each other about something other than a man. And, like, the standard is so low. Well, uh, Jayla and, um, the wife of the governor, they talk about nail polish. They do talk about nail polish. But I think that, but I mean, the point of that test is that it's a very low standard. And, like, no boobies. Right, Even if it does barely pass, pass the standard. It's still not a great movie for women. You know who else this is not a great movie for? Children. That poor child. <laughs> he had to watch his crazy mom dance all over the place and fry things in ovens. There's and... another fire! <laughs> is that what you're going for? You're going for something else? No, I was going for something else. Non-white people. Oh yeah, was there... There's one. There's two. There's the actual Arabic guy oh. that shows up in the beginning. <laughs> And then there's the Mexican guy, and yeah. then there's background there's background characters like there's the black band at the event, and there's the point that Carmine Polito makes, which is most of my constituents are black and Puerto Rican, but, but you don't see them. Yeah, exactly. Which kind of adds to like his motivational factor. Like, is he really that like committed to this? If you never see him like with his actual so-called constituents, uh, you see a few shots of it, but it's mostly establishing stuff. He's not doing deals with them. He's thinking, I'm going to bring them jobs. But I think... And, and, you know, I realized, like, oh, yeah, this is the FBI in the 1970s. It's not exactly a very people-of-color-friendly place. They would have at least needed, like, one of each, you know. They kind of, like, lampshade... And they kind of lampshade that when it brings up the point. It's like, I don't like the name of this operation. Abscam? Arab Scam? It's racist, but then they just kind of push it off to the side. But it's like, oh, I missed that. I don't remember that. Yeah, no. Oh. Michael Pena says that when they're on the plane. Oh. And he says, "What do you care? You're Mexican." Which. Oh. That. I heard that in Augusta before. <laughs> I mean, we're literally the day that we're recording this is Cinco de Mayo, and oh, uh, don't bring. Oh, this is sad. Well, you see, I'm Latino. I'm not Mexican, but still, I have a problem with the way white people celebrate Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> I've always had a problem just, with it. It's just like fetishizing really racist aspects of, like, racist portrayals of other cultures. Yeah. And like, will I drink a margarita and eat a taco on Cinco de Mayo? Yeah, but I'm not going to do it wearing a sombrero and a prosthetic mustache, you know? Ugh. Is that what you call fake hair? You still call it a prosthetic? I, th- I think when you say prosthetic, I think, like, an entire, like, leg or, like, a you know, finger or something like that. Well, I don't... Well, I mean, I was just thinking of, like, the plastic mustaches that people wear. Oh, God, gross. Yeah, no, what? it's gross. It's absolutely gross. Why would you want a plastic and, mustache? And, like, this isn't as heinous as that, necessarily, but... But it, I we mean, could well. have, We could have used more, and, like, David O. Russell doesn't exactly have the best record of portraying people of color. Like, I feel like um, Silver Linings Playbook, another, you know, his movie the year before this. Oh, yeah. There's, the entire, like... No POC. No, there are, and they're portrayed oh. as stereotypes. Do you remember the uh, Eagles bus full of Indian fans that's painted in, like, Hindu styles? No. Yeah. I don't remember that movie too well, though. I just remember they were they went jogging. And they a danced. Lot, and they danced. And something about an attic. And yeah. yeah, that's about it. Yep. Yeah, so... I mean, I think we've done a pretty good job. I think we've talked about what worked about this movie for us, what didn't work about this movie. Is there anything we haven't mentioned that you guys No, we got the fashion, we got the gaze. Um, no. 
I mean, okay, I'm going to count to three, and we're going to say what the best part of this movie was at the same time and see if we agree. Okay. One, two, three. Amy Adams, Jayla Kiss. Okay. Amy Adams, J-Law kiss. That, yeah. yeah. I would say the acting in general, but you know. Sure, that's like the same thing. It's like the same thing? Okay. Well, that's, um, I think that's going to do it for this episode of Home Viewing. Um, I'm John. And I'm Bethany. And next week, we're watching Apollo 13. Aww. Oh, I'm excited. You're going to see me in sci-fi mode. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Nobody looks at it that way but you oh, We all saw him drowning But you were the one with the blood on your hands Saying I never saw the water so Pocket Podcast Network Quality programming right to your pocket